0: So, as I said earlier, um, we have been working our way through the uh, first letter of John to the Christian community, and once again, John, what does he do? He returns to this topic of agape love. If you've been with us from the beginning, when we started in chapter 1, verse 1, and worked all, all, all the way through, you've seen that over and over, John keeps bringing up agape love. But here's the question, what is it? All right, so by way of review, we did this a month ago, but by way of review, agape love, when you look at the whole New Testament, right, this is the general definition that we come up with. By the way, if you study the Bible, and I hope you are, and you look at, like, Blue Letter Bible, and you look at the interlinear uh, words, and you see what the Greek words mean, here's what you need to know. Whenever you see agape, it's in the Bible hundreds of times, you gotta... You got to interpret it within its context, right? Every single time, interpret it within its context, but the general definition of agape love, when you look at the entire New Testament, here's a great definition. A faithful commitment to give sacrificially and selflessly to another. A faithful commitment to give Please notice that. A lot of times people say love is not a feeling, it's an act. There's a lot of truth in that statement. So it's a faithful commitment to give sacrificially and selflessly to another. Now as we've said before, the Greek language is a very descriptive language and there's lots of different words for love in the Greek language. We talked about philia where we get Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. So philia love is brotherly or sisterly love. We've talked about eros, which is romantic love. But you need to know that agape love is the highest form of love because only agape has all these godly characteristics of faithfulness, commitment, and giving that is sacrificial and selfless. Now listen to this. Even when the object of the love doesn't deserve it. That's what makes agape different. And so what is agape love? A faithful commitment to give sacrificially and selflessly to another, even when the object of the love doesn't deserve it, or isn't loving us back. You see, most people live by the mantra, you scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. In other words, you you love me and then I'll love you. But you need to know that agape love says, even if you don't love me, I am still gonna love you. (laughs) All right, so where in the world does that kind of love come from? Well, the answer is in verse seven of 1 John chapter four. Here it is, beloved, he's writing to the Christian community, let us love, the word is agape, let us love one another, for love is from where? What's the name? God. Love is from God. What does that mean? That means that agape love comes from God, and anybody who receives it is responsible to share it. Now, I love sports, and so when the Olympics come every four years, I like to watch the highlights. And one of my favorite parts of the Olympics is the lighting of the Olympic cauldron on, uh, during the opening ceremony. And so, months before, I don't know if you knew this, but months before the Olympics actually begin, the Olympic torch is lit in a town called Olympia, Greece. Right, and so it's lit, and then there's this torch relay that takes place, and so there's various runners, right, and they take the Olympic torch, and they um, run from city to city, keep passing it on from person to person, city to city, even nation a nation, And then when it, the Olympic torch finally arrives at the Olympic Games, the last torchbearer has this privilege of actually lighting the Olympic cauldron, which officially begins the Olympics uh, for that year. By the way, the Summer Olympics coming next year, July, August, so you'll be able to see that um, in Paris on TV for yourself, unless you want to go to Paris. But during the torch relay, and by the way, if you go to Paris, let me go with you. Uh, I would love to do that. I'm learning French, by the way. Um, I got Duolingo on my phone right now, and I'm trying to learn French, so when I go back to Togo, I can communicate a little better with the Togolese people. But getting back to the Olympics, okay, so the torch relay, what happens? As I said, the torch is passed from person to person. It begins in Olympia, Greece. Why? Because that's where the ancient games used to be played. And then it's passed from person to person Um, all the way to wherever the games are taking place in modern times. And the flame represents the Olympic tradition that's passed on from generation to generation. Now I said all that to say this. God's love, God's agape love, is like the Olympic flame. From ancient past, listen to this, from eternity past, God is love. Love. And what did he do? What he did is that he initiated the flame of agape love to us. Did you see, can you see that now in verse 19? Jump down to verse 19 real quick. 1 John chapter four, verse 19. It says, we love because, and can everybody read the last four words, please? Go ahead. Okay, so we love because he first loved us. And so what does that say? That says that God is the initiator of the flame of agape love. And what does he want us to do? He wants us to pass on that flame of agape love to as many people as we can while we're taking breath into our lungs in this life. Again, John's Gospel uh, tells us where love began. Here it is, for God. He's the initiator. For God so loved, in the original, that's agape, the world that he gave. That's why giving sacrificially, selflessly is in our definition for agape. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So what did God do? God is love from eternity past, but he didn't want to just Share the love between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right, and so what did he do? He showed the entire world his love, how? By sending his one and only Son, and Jesus Christ is God incarnate. Jesus Christ is love incarnate, born of a virgin, lives a perfect life, and willingly goes to a cross, and he sacrifices, selflessly sacrifices himself on the cross for our sins, he dies, And then three days later, he gets up, walks out of the tomb, um, defeating Satan, death, and hell forever so that you and I, if we're believers, never have to worry about the judgment of God. No judgment, we get forgiveness, we get peace, we get joy. And so man, you think about the fact that anybody, it's whosoever will believe will trust in Jesus. They're not gonna perish, you see that? Last line, there really is a hell, everybody. You don't have to go there. You won't perish, but you'll have eternal life. Now that's amazing. John 3, 16 is amazing, the gospel is amazing, but it doesn't end there. Why? Because after somebody gets saved and after they experience Right, the flame of God's agape love, what are they called to do? They're called to pass it on to others. They're called, just like one person in the Olympic torch relay passes the flame on to another, we are called to do the same. Ladies and gentlemen, you might be here today and you might be thinking, why do I even exist? Why do I wake up every single day and take breath in my lungs on this planet? Why am I here? Well, listen, here's why you're here so that you can receive God's agape love and then you can pass it on to other people. That's why you exist. That's why you're living right now. And so the question is, are you passing on that love to other people? Jesus put it this way. He said, love one another just as I have loved you. You see, God's the initiator of the flame of agape love. I, Jesus says, have loved you. Now you go, and you love one another. Now, John brings it up again in his little letter. And so right now, if you're looking at 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, can you just say amen so I know you're there? Okay, we're gonna finish the chapter today, and then as I said, I'm gonna uh, make a statement about Israel, and then we're gonna uh, close. But 1 John chapter 4, verse 13, here we go. By this we know that we abide in him, and he in us, because he has given us of his, please underline, spirit. And we have seen and testify that the, please underline, father has sent his, please underline, son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. All right, so I had you underline the words Father, Son, and Spirit because I want to emphasize the truth again that God is three in one. Ladies and gentlemen, historic Christianity teaches, more importantly, the Bible teaches hinted at in the Old Testament, fully revealed in the New Testament, that there is one God. Please say one God. One God, eternally existent in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Please notice, I did not say one God who manifests himself in three modes, M-O-D-E-S, as the heresy of modalism teaches. By the way, evangelical churches should make no room for modalism. It's false doctrine. It contradicts historic Christianity, and it contradicts biblical Christianity. There's not one God with three modes. There's one God eternally existent in three persons. And if we had time, I would show you all the verses that um, show that the Father is a person, the Son is a separate person, the Holy Spirit is a separate person, but together in the mystery of the Trinity, ladies and gentlemen, one God, they all share the same essence, the same nature. And this is seen in Jesus' baptism. When John the Baptist baptized Jesus in the Jordan River, right, the Son of God came out of the water The Spirit of God descended on Jesus in the form of a dove and the voice of the Father approved it all. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The Father speaks from heaven. The Son is baptized. The Holy Spirit descends upon the Son, a beautiful picture of the triunity of God. And so concerning the Father, John wrote in verse 14, And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Regarding the Son, John writes in verse 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And then regarding the Spirit, verse 13, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his Spirit. And so think about this, what's one of the ways, one of the ways that you know that you abide in God and God abides in you? He just told you, the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you. Why? Because under the new covenant your body, born again Christian, is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Now regarding the third person of the Trinity, Paul wrote something similar in Romans. Paul said that the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit Notice capital S, little s there. That's there for a reason. It's because we're talking about the Holy Spirit and then we're talking about our spirit. All right, so the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And so if you've been born again by the Spirit of God, here's what you need to know. The Holy Spirit has quickened your spirit, your spirit that was dead in trespasses and sins. You are now alive in Christ Jesus. But not only have you received the gift of the new birth. Not only have you been born again, but in addition to that, from time to time, his spirit bears witness with our spirit, telling us that we're children of God, assuring us that we're children of God. And I love it when the Holy Spirit bears witness with my spirit. I love it when he gives me that assurance of my salvation. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing, ladies and gentlemen. You see, the world will try to tell you that money or fame or sex will fill the void inside of us, but nothing could be further from the truth. Only the Spirit of God can fill that void inside of all of us. He alone... He alone is the answer. But Jesus said, you must be born again. Jesus looked at a religious guy, why? Because even though he was religious, the Spirit of God didn't live inside of him. And he told a religious guy, you gotta be born again. And so if you're here today, and you're not sure if you've ever been born again, you're not sure if the Holy Spirit has ever quickened you, Today's the day you can experience the new birth. You say, what do I gotta do? You need to turn from your sin. Listen, you gotta be willing to let that thing go. And I I know I'm speaking to somebody this afternoon, but you may have repeated a prayer in the past, just saying a bunch of words and you think you're saved. Listen, you need to turn from your sin. I'm not saying you need to clean up your act and make yourself better so Jesus will accept you. That's not the gospel. But you gotta be willing to repent. You gotta be willing to turn from your sin. Change your mind about sin, the Savior, and yourself. Change your mind about your sin. Admit it's wrong. Change your mind about the Savior, that Jesus paid for my sin on the cross. Change your mind about yourself. I can't save myself through my good works. You need to repent. Turn from your sin, turn to the Savior, Jesus Christ, and receive him as the Savior and the Lord of your life. Receive him as the Redeemer, and not only the Redeemer, but the ruler of your life, your boss. Listen, if you'll give your life to Jesus, he'll come inside of you, and he will quicken you will make you alive spiritually alive and then you'll experience his agape love now listen god doesn't start loving people when they get saved no he's loved us with an everlasting love but we experience his love when we turn to christ in repentance and faith now look at verse 16 it says so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. And so how can we be so sure? Well, verse 13 says, because the Holy Spirit is inside of us. And so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. And so we're supposed to grow in God's love. And that's why he says in verse 17, by this is love Can you guys please say the word perfected, go ahead. Okay, so by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence on the day of judgment because as Jesus is, so also are we in the world. All right, so after a person gets saved and after a person experiences the love of God, now that person is called on to abide, to continue to abide in that love, why? so they can be perfected in that love. Now the word perfected in verse 17, that's not talking about sinless perfection, right? We know that because he said earlier in the letter that if you say you have no sin, you're a liar, okay? So we're not talking about sinless perfection here. What are we talking about? We're talking about growing in God's agape love to a place of real maturity. Do you know what the church lacks as a whole? People who are really mature. People who are spiritually mature, people who have grown in the love, the agape love of the Lord. And so that's God's will for your life. God wants you to grow and become perfected in his love, to reach the place of real maturity, and then keep on growing after that. Now, the problem is, we were all born with a sin nature, And ladies and gentlemen, we all, every single one of us in this room, we all started off our lives as little self-centered human beings. And if you don't believe that, if you don't believe that we all started off our lives as little selfish human beings, then go volunteer over in the toddler room. And you'll find out really fast. Why in the world does Toddler A, toddler B. Toddler A is a little boy, toddler B is a little girl. Why does toddler A look at toddler B playing with a nice shiny red truck and then go over there and take it from her? Why does he do that? Selfishness, right? Mine. And then why does toddler B then proceed to walk over to toddler A and bam, bam, mine take it back why does that happen selfishness by the way nobody taught them to be selfish nobody ever sat down with them and said okay honey here's what you need to do you need to hold on to that toy and never let it go because it's yours no that's already inside of them you don't have to teach your kids to be selfish and then why do both toddlers scream bloody murder and have a temper tantrum when they're corrected by a mature adult Why are they yelling and screaming? Selfishness, they're not getting their own way. And so they scream, they yell, right? Some of them get a little violent every once in a while. Now, it's amazing to me that selflessness and sharing doesn't come natural to little kids. Why? Because they're a bunch of little sinners, that's why. (laughs) mean can you imagine god knew what he was doing can you imagine if god did not give these little toddlers little bodies can you imagine if they had big bodies what would happen there would be murder in the toddler room today right so god knew he was doing he gave them these little bodies and then he gives us these big bodies why so we can be their best friend for life? No. So we can be their parent and love them and discipline them and teach them how they should act, what should they, what they should say, what, how they should think, how they should act, right? And so we're all on this journey. We're all on this journey of growing in God's love and we're all you know, growing up. All of our bodies are getting larger and larger and so we got to play nice, we got to share. And people who don't learn that lesson and they're still selfish with big bodies, you know where they end up a lot of times? Behind bars. Again, thank you police officers, right, for keeping us safe. And so man, as we're all growing in God's love, here's what I think we'll all agree to. That learning to love others, learning to share, learning to play nice with others, got a whole lot easier when we received Jesus Christ and received the Holy Spirit into our lives. It got a whole lot easier when Christ came into our hearts. You say, why is that? Because Paul said this in Romans chapter 5, verse 5. He said, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand. I have all the respect in the world for the Holy Spirit. He's the third person of the Trinity, he's co eternal and Co-equal with the Father and the Son. He's He's worthy of our worship, adoration, and praise. Okay, so I'm just using a metaphor here. But I want you to think about the Holy Spirit as the power steering fluid of your life. You ever try to drive a car that doesn't have any power steering fluid and then try to turn a corner? Super hard. When I was 17 years old, the second car that I ever owned was a 1965 Plymouth Belvedere with a slant six engine, you open up the hood, you can see the street underneath, right? So that's what I I drove. And, And by the way, that's what I picked up my girlfriend, who's now my wife, Stacy, in. And that Plymouth Belvedere was like from here to the drum cage long. And that's how I know that my wife loved me, because she got into that car, and she actually drove around in that car with me, right? And so, man, after 30 four years, we've been really tight, cause I know, I know, I know she loves me, okay, and so, but here's the thing, it didn't have power steering fluid, and so I built up my muscles, right, in those days, turning those corners with that Plymouth Belvedere, and so again, how hard is it, without power steering fluid, to turn a corner, really hard, but you put the power steering fluid in, and it gets a whole lot easier. How hard is it to love other people, especially when they're unlovable, especially when they're stingy, especially when they're negative, especially when they're criticizing everything. How hard is it to love those people? It's really, really, really hard. But here's what I wanna encourage you to do. If you're not saved, get saved. Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit of God. He comes in at the time of salvation. Receive his love, and ladies and gentlemen, just like a car with power steering fluid, now the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Loving that person is gonna get a whole lot easier. Why? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Look at verse 17. By this is, is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. You guys see that? Confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, Jesus is, so also are we in the world. And so the idea here is that as we're growing in this agape love of God, as we're getting more and more mature in God's love, what's happening? We're having confidence for the coming day of judgment because why? We're living as Jesus lived in this world. Now John talks about a coming judgment. And here's what I know about John. He was an apostle. And here's what I know about John. He knew Peter, and he knew Paul. This is around, we say, we think, AD 90 to 94. So all the other apostles are dead. They're all martyred for the faith. But John knew Paul back in the day. John knew Peter back in the day. And we teach the apostles' doctrine. Why? Because it's all the same. And so John is writing now to the Christian community. So what judgment was he talking about? He's talking about the judgment seat of Christ. Now, Paul had a lot to say about this. And so Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.10, we, talking to the Christians, we must, can you please shout out the word all? That means you. So one day, you will stand eyeball to eyeball with Jesus Christ. I wonder if you ever even thought about that. I wonder if you're preparing for that. And so we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And so I don't want you to misunderstand this. You gotta stay with me. Regarding our salvation, the salvation, right, that many of you have, because you're a born-again Christian, regarding your salvation, having been justified. By faith alone. You need to know that you right now you possess eternal life. And it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Okay, so so that's our salvation. But regarding our reward, and by the way, that's apart from works. But regarding our rewards, here's what you need to know. Regarding the 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 certain crowns that we're gonna receive someday at the judgment seat of Christ, regarding certain cities that we're gonna rule over during the kingdom age. Ladies and gentlemen, that is determined by our works. Works matter. Good works are important. And so when we get to the judgment seat of Christ, we're gonna give an account for our lives and we're gonna account for, eyeball to eyeball, the things we did in our body, whether good or evil. And at that time, our works are gonna be tested by fire. And again, Paul writes a lot about it, and so Paul says this, if, it's a big if, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, I gotta time out real quick, so in the context, the word foundation is talking about the foundation of Jesus Christ that is in the same chapter no other foundation can any lay but that which has been laid the foundation of Jesus Christ okay so if any so if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives the fiery judgment of the judgment seat of Christ he will receive a reward if anyone's work is burned up he written to Christians will suffer loss Somebody says, I thought there was no tears in heaven. Listen, that's later, after the thousand year reign of Christ in the new heavens and the new earth, that's when he wipes away all tears. But we're talking about the judgment seat of Christ which comes before the the thousand year reign of Christ. And if your work is burned up, you're gonna suffer loss. Though he himself will be saved, but only as through, what, fire. And so what does all this mean? What it means is that Christ, because we're Christians, Christ is our firm foundation. We are building our lives on Jesus Christ. And at the judgment seat of Christ, the works that we did in our lives, the the, the good works, the good deeds that we we did, they're gonna be, metaphorically speaking, like stones that we used to build our lives upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. Christ. And if it's a big if, but if we live like Jesus Christ in the world, if we lived lives of agape love, showing love to other people, then our works are going to be like gold and silver and precious stones and more gold and more silver and more precious stones. And then we're going to have confidence on the day of judgment. Why? Because, ladies and gentlemen, those precious stones that we use to build our lives, what does that mean? That means those good works that we did with the right motives, those good works that we did, motivated by the agape love, those good works are gonna survive the fires of judgment, and we are going to receive a reward. Can you even imagine this? Jesus Christ, You, one day, are going to stand before Jesus Christ, whether you want to or not, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And man, you want your house to go through that fire, gold, silver, precious stones. You want to see the smile on his face. You want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. And you want to receive a crown. You know why? So you can treasure it for all eternity. Look at my crown, everybody. No, so you can cast it at his feet because he's worthy of our praise. Yeah, give him honor, give him glory, let him know. Put your hands together and let him know. But if we didn't live like Christ in the world, and we didn't live lives of agape love toward others, then our works are gonna be like wood, hay, and straw, and we're gonna have no confidence at the judgment seat of Christ say, why is that? Because the inferior stuff that we used to build our lives, what does that mean? The works we did with wrong motives, the works we did with ulterior motives, self-centered motives, works that we did that lacked agape love, those works will not survive the fires of judgment and we will not receive rewards we will suffer loss on the authority of God's word. We will suffer loss. Somebody says, well, if my works get burned up, can I still go into heaven? Back to the text. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be what? Aren't you glad God's a gracious God? Aren't you glad Jesus paid it all? You see, our sin isn't what's the issue at the judgment seat of Christ, it's our works. Though He himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So, in light of all this, what should be our goal? Right now, if you're thinking, well, more wood, more hay, more stubble, I'm gonna keep living for myself because it says I'm gonna still be saved. If that's your attitude, I doubt if the Holy Spirit even lives inside of you. What should our goal be? Our goal should be live like Jesus in the world. Our goal should be live lives of agape love in the world, right? So we can have confidence at the judgment seat of Christ. And so look at verse 18. He says, there is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with, note this, punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So right now, if you're afraid of God's punishment, you have not been perfected in God's love. Verse 19, we love because he first loved us. And so in the future, there's gonna be two primary judgments. There's gonna be the judgment seat of Christ. That's only for believers, And it takes place before the millennium. Yes, all Calvary chapels around the world always have, and I hope we always will, believe in a literal thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth, right? And so the judgment seat of Christ, only for believers, takes place before the millennium. And then the great white throne judgment, that's only for unbelievers, and that takes place after the millennium, and of course, all those people are cast into the lake of fire. Now, I know you got a lot of questions, and that's why we are always saying go to gotquestions.org because they have so many articles on all of these future judgments. But I want to say that as Christians, we have nothing to be afraid of. Why? Because what, what judgment are we going to, the first one or the second one? You guys see that? So as born-again, blood-bought children of God, we're going to the first judgment but if you reject Jesus Christ you will die in your sins if you die rejecting Jesus Christ you will die in your sins you will go to the great white throne judgment and you will experience the wrath of God why because God is a just judge and all sin is a crime in his courtroom and sin has to be paid for And so why should a genuine believer not worry about God's wrath? Look at verse 10. It tells you. 1 John chapter 4 verse 10. Why should we never worry about God's wrath? Here it is. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the satisfaction for our sins. And so as Christians, what do we believe? We believe that as Jesus Christ, God's Son, fully God, fully man. As Jesus Christ hung on Calvary's cross, what happened? He took our sin into his body on the tree. And he absorbed our punishment in our place. He paid for our sins in full, past, present, future, and he died. And then three days later, he rose from the dead, victorious over sin, Satan, and hell. Jesus paid it all. And so if Jesus took our punishment, what do we have to be afraid of? You guys see this? As I shared a few weeks ago, right, you got God's wrath, metaphorically speaking, I'm just doing a picture here, coming down, and there's Christ, his son on the cross, and Christ is absorbing the punishment that we should have received, right, because God is a just God, and so because God is loving, he's he's absorbing it for us. And what happened when we turned to Christ in repentance and faith? We took our place in the shadow of the cross, so to speak, and so we're not getting wrath. We're getting love. We're getting forgiveness. We're getting mercy. We're getting peace. Praise God. But someone says, I don't believe any of this stuff. Well, the sad part is God still loves you. That's the good part. But the sad part is he's not gonna force himself on you, and not only will you receive wrath, You're right now, according to the last part of John chapter three, you're abiding in wrath right now. So here's what I want to encourage you to do. Let the kindness of God lead you to repentance. Turn from your sin to the Savior today. Give your life to Jesus Christ. So with all this in mind, it says in verse 18, there is no fear in love. Praise God. We have nothing to be afraid of. But perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And so, do we fear God with a reverent awe for who He is? You guys tell me, yes or no? Yes, Yes, but do we fear God in a way that we cower because we're afraid of being punished? No. No. I hope you see the difference. Last two verses, and we're done. Verse 20 if anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must, (laughs) it's a commandment, we must also agape, love his brother. But what is agape again? Agape, the definition of agape is a faithful commitment. We must do this, a faithful commitment to give Sacrificially and selflessly to another, even when that person, the recipient of our love, doesn't deserve it, and even when they don't love us back, we're commanded, we must do that. And so if you've received the agape flame of, of God, God's uh, uh, flame of agape love, if you have received that, you say, what do I do? you got to pass it on to other people. Just like one Olympic runner in the torch relay passes on the flame to another Olympic runner, you and I have got to keep passing on the flame of God's love to other people, and I want you to be intentional this week, right? Don't even go to sleep tonight until you've passed the torch to somebody else. That means agape love your wife, agape love your husband, agape love your kids and your grandkids and your neighbors and your coworkers and and your friends and your brothers and sisters in Christ. You say, why do I exist? Why am I here? Here's why, right there. You and I have to love one another as Jesus Christ has loved us, amen? Praise God, praise God. Now, Israel, Last night, right in the middle of the sermon, I went off on Israel, had not even planned it, but then God gave me peace after the service that he was leading that. And so I was like, all right, Sunday services are coming, and I gotta say something. And so I wanna, I wanna share here just for a few minutes before I turn it over to Pastor Andrew uh, to close out the service. But the reason I'm doing this, number one, is because I believe God is leading me to do it, but number two, is to clear up, hopefully, any misinformation that you may have seen here in the past three weeks. And so let me give you a little bit of history, and then I'm gonna share some prayer requests with you regarding Israel. In case you didn't know it, way back in 1917, after World War I, Palestine, which many of us call the Holy Land, came under the authority of the British nation, of England. And they supported the creation of a Jewish state in the Holy Land. Many Jews had moved to Palestine in the 1800s and in the early 1900s. And they got to Palestine, these Jewish people, after the Holocaust. Um, Well, 1800s before the Holocaust, but then even after the Holocaust, uh, many moved into the area And they were very, very excited about having the prospect of having their own nation. In 1947, this is after World War II, after the Holocaust. In 1947, the newly formed United Nations passed a resolution. And they called for Palestine to be partitioned between Arabs and Jews. And what did that allow for? That allowed for the formation of the Jewish state of Israel. And so the idea of a Jewish state strongly, in 1947, strongly supported by the West, Europe, America, completely opposed by the Arabs. Completely opposed. On May 14th, 1948, now you'll never understand unless you are a passionate student of eschatology as I am, and I have been now for 30 years, you'll never understand the significance of that date unless you really study what the Bible has to say about the end times. And so ladies and gentlemen, we believe in what's called the Abrahamic covenant. Genesis 12, Genesis 15, Genesis 17. We believe that God made a covenant that is unconditional with the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There's a lot I can say about this, um, but I I don't have time to, but I just wanna say that we believe in that covenant, and that covenant included a land grant. And so in in, um, AD 70, you know the Romans came, they destroyed the temple, they destroyed Jerusalem. Later on, the Bar Kokhba revolt um, after uh, 100 AD, and um, Jews were kicked out of Palestine Um, Hadrian, uh, the Roman um, uh, official then called it Palestine, okay and so the Jews out of their land for 1900 years but on May 14th, 1948 and I believe in fulfillment of biblical prophecy Israel became a nation once again. No other nation, listen no other nation in history ever was out of their land for 1900 years and then came back. God loves Israel, God has a plan in the future for Israel. Now, I know they're not perfect. (laughs) I know they're back in the land in unbelief, but they're back in the land. And so the day after, May 14th, 1948, guess what happened? The very next day, surrounding Arab nations attacked Israel. Ladies and gentlemen, they did not attack their neighbors. They were attacked. And Israel defeated their enemies in 1948. The Arab nations did not want a two-state solution. Now, you gotta hear me, so if you're listening, say amen here. Today, many Arabs, not all Arabs, don't hear me saying all Arabs, but many Arabs, and certainly the terrorists, Hamas, Hezbollah, Islamic Jihad, and the greatest state sponsor of terrorism, Iran. They do not want a two-state solution. They want what Hitler called the final solution. They want genocide. They want all Jews gone. They want to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. And so I said all that to say this, that right now, more than ever, Israel and Jewish people need the love and encouragement and support of the evangelical church, okay? And so that's where we come in. If you believe somehow that Hamas is a freedom-fighting, peace-loving, pro-Palestinian organization, you really need to stop getting your information off of TikTok And you need to start really investigating being a Berean and finding out what's really up, what's really up, what's really the truth. And thank God I read an article earlier where TikTok's trying to clean up all the misinformation. But but, but listen, don't believe everything you see and don't believe everything you read. Get the facts. Find out what's actually going on. Okay, and so here's the prayer request. And we're gonna put these on social media. So um, um, I'm not on social media, but I know that our church has a Facebook page I know we have uh, Instagram and maybe some other stuff but today we're putting this these prayer requests on social media so you can read them later but I'm going to read them to you right now so we need to be praying that we never forget the Holocaust I go to Israel every two years starting to go every year um, not now obviously until all this is, is over with but um, I've been there many times. Every single time I go, I take our group into the Holocaust Museum. We spend a half a day there. You know why we do that? I don't want us to ever forget. Why? Never again. Never again, right? So that, right? And also, we should never forget the Holocaust and we should never forget what happened on October 7th, which is the deadliest day for the Jewish people since the Holocaust. Some are calling it the second holocaust. We should pray that the church would always stand with Israel and their right to have their own nation. Ladies and gentlemen, listen. You might be saying, pastor, how can you stand up there and say all this stuff about love, love, agape love? Well, how does that apply to the Middle East? Here's how it applies. Because Jesus is talking to us as individuals and to the church, we have to show agape love. He's not talking to nations. Now, if he is talking to nations, What's the most loving thing that a nation can do? In fact, what is the number one responsibility of a nation? The number one responsibility of a nation is to protect its citizens. And so the most loving thing that the Israeli government can do is protect their Jewish citizens in the nation of Israel. That's the most loving thing that they can do. And so, we stand with Israel. We stand with their right to have their own nation. We pray for the security and peace of Jerusalem as well as all Israel. We pray, oh my goodness, we pray for the comfort of the family members of 1,400 Jews who were viciously murdered. And I know you read the news, I know you've seen it, I know you've heard about it. But, Lord, but, but, but ladies and gentlemen, it's absolutely satanic what they did to these 1,400 people. We need to pray for the release of the 200 hostages in Gaza and for strength and comfort for their families. We need to pray for the IDF, Israeli Defense Forces, that they would fight courageously and effectively against anyone who wants to destroy Israel or its people. We need to pray for the peaceful Palestinians in Gaza to be protected from all harm we need to pray for our brothers and sisters, our Christians in Gaza, that God will protect them from harm. We need to pray every single day, often every, day, every single day, for the children on both sides of the conflict, that they would be protected by angels and from all harm. And we need to pray for Hamas to be soundly defeated so that it never raises its ugly anti-Semitic head ever again. We need to pray for Hezbollah and all other uh, terrorist organizations to stay out of this conflict. We need to pray that Iran will never get a nuclear weapon. We need to pray that Americans of all ages would stop being influenced by the anti-Semitic ideology that's being propagated. Listen, it's being propagated on our college campuses. It's ridiculous. The spirit of the age is anti-Semitism and after they want to kill them, they're coming after us, okay? And so adults, it's time to start speaking to the lives of the young people who are receiving a lot of misinformation about what's really up. And so pray against that. Pray the good news of Jesus Christ would spread through uh, the whole world by the words and deeds of true Christians everywhere. That is our prayer. That is our prayer. And so we're gonna put these on social media and I hope that every day, listen, as everything gets really, really worse over there and the international community um, becomes more and more anti-Semitic, it'll happen in the future, I just pray that you and I will always stand with Israel and realize that even though they're back in the land in unbelief, that God has an amazing plan in the future because Romans 11:26 26 says this, all Israel will be saved and God keeps his word. God bless you guys, I love you.